0: Hick-hacks. So someone saying poker is great for this, like I don't know exactly what you're referring to, but it makes a lot of sense to me. It's funny because I've seen professional poker players do really well in other scenarios. So I've helped professional poker players transition to like other jobs. And so if you're someone who, you know, is worried about your career not being the right choice, like that's okay. The other thing is people will think, oh my God, I've wasted so much time in this career that's okay. You'll be surprised at how much of it wasn't a waste. But I know it's so much about fluid dynamics, and I don't know how to apply fluid dynamics to like other things. Well, you'd be surprised. So my life improved dramatically once I accepted that I have no singular all-consuming calling, and instead just want to do a variety of stuff I kind of like until I eventually die. Makes sense. Right? So if we kind of look at this, we see a lot of questions about how do, I f- you know, how do I find which career is right for me? Do I pick my passion or do I pick my job? Which one? Which is the right choice? So we tend to go through life or approach life kind of thinking binary, Like, there's a right thing and there's a wrong thing. There's a career. And even if it's binary, it's singular. Right? It's not like a multiple choice or like, you know, check all that apply. That's not how we go through life. We go through life like, you know, true, false, binary, sometimes multiple choice. But you got to make one choice. We also don't think it's like, certainly not like, Word problem with essay response. That's not what life is. Like, there's a right way to live life and there's a wrong way to live life. Even our language, it's so baked into our language. Are you happy with your career? Career is singular. It's like, you know, people don't ask, like, do you enjoy your careers? No, like, a career is like one thing. Like, the concept of a career is that it's one thing that you do that you then, like, persist in doing for a long amount of time and then if you do it for a while like and you make the right choice then you'll be happy and if you make the wrong choice then you'll be miserable i regret my career choice i'm happy with my career choice it's all singular it's all binary it's all longitudinal and then furthermore we also honor people who tend to pick one career right so like we'll look at people like You know, despite all the criticism, we'll look at people like Jeff Bezos who built Amazon and Bill Gates who built Microsoft. Newsflash, there were other people involved. Warren Buffett, you know, who built Berkshire Hathaway. Newsflash, there were other people involved. And when we look at success, we tend to look at like one thing that people worked on for a long period of time. And to be sure, there's a good reason for that. It's like, you know, if you, you know, that can absolutely apply. But I think that for a lot of people, you know, the concept of a career isn't really about being the best at one thing, which is what people will tell you, right? They'll say, like, just learn one thing and be the best at it. And that's the best way to deliver value. We don't talk about hybrids, it's all min maxing and one dimensional. But I think that there are some people who have the temperament for not doing one thing their entire life. And in fact, the way they can be the most successful is to do like, a plethora of things over time. And they will bring their experience from each of these things to something else. And I say this as someone who is that way, right? So, and this is where like, I learned this from kind of the concept of Ayurveda, which by the way, I know we've kind of steered clear of. So I'm going to share a little bit about that now. So some people were criticizing some of the papers that we cited about the IU genomics dimension of Ayurveda. So Ayurveda has different, group uh, you know, segments. So Ayurveda is traditional Indian medicine. There's actually good evidence for some of the herbal treatments and some of the interventions of Ayurveda, but some of the more personality-based uh, stuff, I think we overestimated the quality of the evidence. So after doing a more thorough review, I think the critics were actually right. There's not actually very good data behind some of the Ayurvedic personality stuff. So I personally still think there's a lot of value in it, even if it is not actually that scientifically validated. And so that that too there's there's kind of a dimension there which is that things can have heuristic utility or functional utility without being scientifically correct. Right? So we create concepts that help us navigate life and even if those concepts are not scientifically provable, they can be very useful. So a lot of we do this a lot in psychology where we'll you know we'll come up with like ego, right? Like ego is not a real thing. You cannot biopsy the ego. You can't detect the ego on an MRI. There isn't an ego part of the brain. It is an emergent concept which has a lot of functional utility. And we can sort of approximate it through factor analysis, but it's not necessarily a real thing. So what I'm going to talk about is sort of like, this sounds to me like a vata. Okay? So a vata is someone who has a very dynamic mind, who has shifting attention. And generally speaking, if you have shifting attention, you will really struggle to build one year, uh, one career over time because you get bored easily. You lose motivation and you get excited about other things. And so what most people think is that if you're a vata, you're screwed because like, that's what leads to success, period, is to pick one road, go through it, don't be a hybrid. But in my experience, if you are like this, where you can't just do one thing and you kind of get bored easily. There's absolutely a way to lean into that and craft some kind of career, but really incorporate a lot of different careers over time that actually ends up doing pretty well. So I'm the simplest, I mean, you know, I'm an example of this. So once I realized that I'm the same way as this person and I leaned into it, it worked pretty well. So I'm definitely not the best content creator on the internet, right? I'm not the biggest YouTuber. I'm not the biggest Twitch streamer. I'm definitely not the best doctor on the internet. I'm definitely not the best gamer on the internet. Right? My MMR isn't that fantastic. And yet my ability to like weave these together actually creates like an emergent phenomenon that is is okay. Make sense? So that's the kind of thing where like You know, if you're someone who's like, oh, this career isn't right for me, that's okay. And so this is what I would encourage you to do is like recognize that there are things from careers that can actually have more value in other places. So, for example, I really, really, really appreciate. I'm also not the best monk, right? Because I dropped out of that. But I incorporate spiritual teachings. I incorporate medical teachings. I incorporate concepts of psychology. I incorporate gaming analogies so you can weave it all together. And this is something that I think is very, very incorrect about how we view success, is we assume that getting really, really, really good at one thing is the best way to be successful. So if you're someone who gets bored easily and gets excited about stuff, I'd say lean into that to a certain amount and recognize that there are going to be principles from each field that you study that will help you in other fields. So the simplest example of this is actually, I mean, we can pick any, but as I think about my own life, I think about like, you know, training to become a monk for a few years definitely helps with like getting through medical school. It definitely helps with working with patients, right? It definitely even helps conceivably on, you know, the internet in terms of like making content. Similarly, like principles of psychology and understanding communication, conflict resolution, behavior certainly helps in terms of like corporate consulting. Right, What's going on at this person's job? Like let's try to understand the psychology and motivations. Let's try to understand what kind of behaviors we're reinforcing. So the principles that I learned from family therapy can be very, very useful in advising executives, What's the dynamic in the room amongst the C-suite executives? Not just executives, like even people who are, you know, like frontline workers. And so even principles of, let's say, coding or design, right? Where like design and like architecture have been now used to like do branding and marketing. So there are all kinds of principles that can be useful in other dimensions. Even video game stuff. So I sort of conceptualize, one of our coaches actually was really neat. So they came up with a character sheet system for their clients, where as their coaching client, they'll like develop a character sheet and add traits. And the clients really like it. They're like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. I have like plus 10 to this and minus 10 to this, plus 10 to this and minus 10 to this. Or like, maybe I shouldn't engage in that relationship because this person, this person has this kind of style or whatever, right? So they take their like real life attributes and stick them on a character sheet so that they, it helps in their reflection of that thing. They can reflect on it. They can understand it better. Real life character sheet. Right? So like even playing games can be useful in coaching. Like it's interesting. So the first thing is that if you're someone who gets bored easily, that's okay. You're not doomed to failure. Lean into it couple of really, really important points, though, about structuring this. The first is that generally speaking, you want to cycle back around to your interests. And what do I mean by that? If you get bored of thing A, move to thing B. If you get bored of thing B, move to thing C. If you get bored of thing C, see if you can cycle back to A. Because if you continue making changes, if you dig 60 holes that are one foot deep, you're never going to hit water. But if you have four or five holes that you can dig 10 feet deep, you may hit water. And not only that, if you dig one hole 60 feet deep, you may not hit water. It may actually be a more advantageous situation to dig five holes 10 feet deep. You'll see that? What if there's just no water n- down there? And you've invested 60 feet into it. So in that way, you can actually outperform people who are like dedicated in one direction. It's like I am, an, I am a mattress salesman at a retail store, and this is what I've devoted my entire life to. I'm going to be the best mattress salesman in the world. And then COVID hits, and then these online retailers hit, and I've over-specialized in bread and weakness. Right? Ghost in the Shell reference. It's true. Over-specialized in breed and weakness. And so this is where, like, you know, it's okay to not do one thing your entire life. Don't get locked into it. Right? So you can do something for a little while, and if you don't like it, that's okay. I think it's okay to switch. You don't have to beat yourself up over it. But remember that everything that you do, you can learn something from, and you can carry something with you. If you're working retail for a year, and you're dealing with Karens every day, you're now going to be, like, skilled at dealing with Karens. And maybe at your next job as a developer, you're going to have a Karen for a boss. And whereas all of your colleagues are going to be frustrated, you are an expert at dealing with Karens. So you can handle it. Because the truth is that a lot of what makes people successful at work is not the actual, like, work, right? Half of it is the work, and half of it is, like, all this interpersonal human stuff. Or internal stuff. It's, like, stuff like work ethic organization, prioritization, communication, conflict resolution. You can work on all that in all these different scenarios. Right? So, like, there are even things where, for example, like I remember I was working at um, a residential addiction treatment facility and the staff was really, really stressed out at rounds. So rounds is when you sit down and you kind of discuss plans for the patients and stuff like that, talk to the patient sometimes depending on how you round. And so we started every day with a meditation. It's like, hey, like I know this week has been tough. We've got a couple of really hard patients. Let's like start with a meditation and then we'll get into rounds. So, you know, there are some people that spent four years doing research and getting publications before they went to medical school. I spent some time in India. You can carry it with you. So you don't need a career that is just one dimensional. Whatever you do, you can carry with you. Carry it forward. And recognize that you may actually have advantages against people who have spent their entire life in that career. I really understood this when I went to the GDC conference. And I talked to all these like programmers and developers. And like people who are designing games. There's so much to be gained from like understanding psychological perspectives. Right? We were even talking about, so I gave a talk about reducing toxicity and there's like basic stuff about behavioral reinforcement that I think the developers haven't really understood. And it's what's actually really amazing is how much developers have understood about player behavior without any kind of formal training. They've gotten so far without formal training. They're brilliant. And they like, they're doing it blind. Right? So someone saying poker is great for this, like, I don't know exactly what you're referring to, but it makes a lot of sense to me. It's funny because I've seen professional poker players do really well in other scenarios. So I've helped professional poker players transition to like other jobs. And so if you're someone who, you know, is worried about your career not being the right choice, like that's okay. The other thing is people will think, oh my God, I've wasted so much time in this career. That's okay. Okay. You'll be surprised at how much of it wasn't a waste. But I know it's so much about fluid dynamics and I don't know how to apply fluid dynamics to like other things. Well, you'd be surprised. Right? And so like, it's not too late to switch. There are a lot of things that will carry over things like work, work ethic, interpersonal dynamics, the ability to stick with something for a long period of time. You know, you're an engineer and someone's like, why would we hire you? You've been doing 10 years of like fluid dynamics stuff at a sewage plant. And you're like, well, I'm, I'm very detail-oriented. You know, there's like some technical skills that I need to learn, but I'm happy to learn those. I have a strong work ethic. And frankly, I've wanted to leave the job for two or three years, but I'm not a quitter. And so if you hire me, like, I'll make sure the job gets done, even if I don't enjoy doing it. And you can count because, like, you know, if I don't do a good job, people get poop in their water, and that's unacceptable. So I'm very results-oriented. I'm very detail-oriented. And I'll work until the job is done. Right? So, someone's saying, like, oh, is like, I'm good at handling shit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right? You say that in an interview. Why should you hire me? I guarantee you, I'm the best at handling shit of anyone in your office. And they laugh, and you laugh, and you have a positive connection. <laughs> and then maybe you get hired. Yeah, so like, but even if what you say is to 80 plus percent is going to waste, who cares? How much do you really need? So let me ask you all something. If you get a job, right, if you do start doing something, and you say, oh, but 80% of it is waste. Like, how much do you really get from the experience? Like, if I do a job for two years versus 10 years, how much additional work or additional gain do I get from the eight years? Think about it, right? Think about it critically. So if I play Dota for two years versus play Dota for 10 years, what's going to be the effect on my MMR? So people assume this is a huge mistake that people make, that devoting yourself 10 years to a career makes you better at it than someone who does two years. There's a disturbing amount of research from the field of medicine that the quality of your practice of medicine is determined within the first two to five years of practice. And that you will have doctors who have four years of experience who will outperform doctors who have 30 years of experience, very commonly. And furthermore, like, that, the, the good doctors are determined early on. And we see the same thing in video games, right? You calibrate to your MMR, and, like, if you look at pros... Like, pros in esports are not the ones that have the most experience. Like, I have more experience playing Dota, I think, or I've been playing it for more years. Actually, I don't know if this is a fair thing to say. But there are definitely people out there who have more experience than, like, you know, who've been playing Dota for more hours, I don't know about more hours, but longer than even, like, the TI champions from TI10. So we grossly overvalue experience. They're like, oh my god, 80% of it is wasted. Like, who cares? You don't need 80% of it. All you need is 20%. So what it comes down to, uh oh. F? Okay. What it comes down to, what'd y'all hear? What was the last thing. <laughs> you can't trash talk team spirit. DHF Okay. So what I was saying is that like people assume that experience is really important and scales linearly. Right? We assume that oh my god, I've been doing this for 10 years, all that experience is wasted. But how long does it take to get good? Are you when you're when you have 2 years of experience versus 10 years of experience, are you 5 times better than someone with 2 years of experience? Absolutely not. And you can see this if you look at esports because you'll have people who played more hours who are like still sitting in the trench tier than people who are, like, winning gigantic international multi-million dollar tournaments. So experience doesn't count for nearly as much as people think it does. And this is where, if you need to catch up, the cool thing is that deliberate practice can really help you catch up really easily. So if we look at people who are better, you know, there are people who have played a thousand hours of Dota, and people who have played a hundred hours of Dota, and people who played a hundred hours of Dota may be better than the person who's played a thousand hours. How is that? It's because they're intentional about getting better. right? They focus on it and they try to catch, not even catch up. They just focus on getting better every single day instead of playing like zombies. And the truth is most of people who are in careers, like do it like a zombie and they're sort of like passively learning. They don't really reflect very much, right? You just go to work and you work on more projects and you gain more experience and you kind of level up, but you're not doing like replay analysis of your games. So what makes people better? Replay analysis. Do you do replay analysis at work? When a project doesn't go well, what is your improvement process? Chances are it's run by the people above you. And so, like, how good is that going to be? Right? So what about your own personal improvement process? (laughs) Someone's saying, I always do replay analysis at work, Chinese cabbage farmer. And that's why you get reprimanded, because you're watching Dota Replace at work. <laughs> uh, catching up is always faster than you think. Right? So, like, people will say, like, oh, I'm shifting careers. I'm starting behind. I, start, I finished medical school at the age of 32. I was, like, somewhere between four and six years older than the average person. And it's fine. Like, I'm doing okay. Right? Like I had a lot of worries when I was going into medical school. Oh my god, I'm so old. It's fine, you know. Highly recommend doing what's right for you and making a shift if that's what you need to do. Right? Be getting good is not about more time, it's about intentional. I wish we could have an interview of of 20s Dr. K. My friend, y'all have had tons of interviews with 20s Dr. K. The people that we bring on stream, half of them are 20s Dr. K. Right? That's how we pick them. You want to have an interview with 20s Dr. K? Go talk to yourself in the mirror, depending on who you are. (laughs) Right? So, it's okay. Like, If you're someone who has ultimately decided a career is not right for me, like, lean into it. You will be amazed at how much value you can bring to the table. Yeah, so for all—really, I think that the whole reason that this thing works and HG is a thing is because we're a lot more close to each other than we realize. And so lean into who you are, Right. It doesn't, don't follow the formula for success because here's the biggest problem with the formula for success being the next Bill Gates or, or Jeff Bezos or whatever, right? Because we also have Elon Musk who is like, I'm going to build a tunnel from San Francisco to LA. I'm going to send a, a spaceship to the moon. I'm going to stick a Wi-Fi router on a satellite. I'm going to buy Twitter. I'm going to build electric car. I'm, a build elect, I'm going to build battery, right? It's like, what, man? Like, where's the focus, right? So it's like everyone who's looking at careers is like, you know, we always look at these people who like pound away at one thing for 20 or 30 years and we assume that's the formula for success. It's not the formula for success. Here's the other big problem with the formula for success. The formula for success, all the success stories that we have... I know it sounds kind of weird, involve a person. But are you that person? Chances are you're not. And if you're not, what are the individual factors that go to that success? We look at their actions, but we don't look at the person. And so any formula for success that you follow that someone else gives you is going to work like it's going to be inefficient because it doesn't account for you. So if you're someone who like, you know, wants to be quote unquote successful, you know, and you have certain tendencies, you have certain stats, you know, it's kind of like, you know, if you have a, a strength build, in Elden Ring, and you see a bunch of like people one-shotting things with as a mage, and you're like, I'm going to pick up a staff and I'm going to be like them, but you got to play to your strengths, right? Like what's your build? What's your nature? What are your temperaments? What do you like? What gets you to work the best? What makes you the most intrinsically motivated? It may not be doing the same thing day in and day out for 10 years. And this is where if you're worried about all the inefficiency loss and stuff like that, remember that people can do things. People can play a video game for 5,000 hours and still suck at it. So you can shift careers and whether you do a good job or a bad job depends entirely on how much work you put in and how, how reflective you are. And when people say, when I say work, I don't mean just the hours. That's the other thing, is people assume that more work means more hours. No, that's my whole point. You can play Dota for 5,000 hours and still suck. That person has put in a lot of hours, but they haven't put in a whole lot of work. That's why they suck. Right? It's even like, I think it's Bill Gates, or I forget who, who said this, but it was saying like, you're like, oh, but like, I'm lazy. And it's like, Bill Gates is like, if you have a hard task, give it to a lazy person. They'll figure out how to do it the most efficiently. Even laziness can be an attribute that you can capitalize on. Right? Someone's like, why should we hire you as a developer? Well, you can be like, I'm lazy. Like, why is that an advantage? Because I design the best user interfaces. Because I think about how to make things the easiest for myself all the time. That actually excites me, and I will actually be motivated to do that. And then they're, like, confused. The guy says he's lazy. (laughs) Should I hire him or should I not hire him? You interview enough, someone will hire you. (laughs) Okay. All right, shall we meditate? Is there a such thing as like a meditation to do psychosis? Absolutely. We've like shared papers on that. You just do a Google Scholar search for it. Um, So let's meditate. So I was going to teach you all something a little bit different today. Um, It's going to be a little bit more. So I tried to find something that would be both advanced and basic. So we're going to do a version of Ohm meditation today. So for people who are relatively new to meditation, you can just do the basic Ohm. But for people who have been practicing for a while, because we have our month of meditation still going on on Discord, um, you can go ahead and and uh, like do sort of the advanced level of it. Okay. So the other thing is that today we were talking a lot about interacting with the world, for lack of a better term. So we were talking about, you know, being authentic with the world, sort of like h- how you show yourself, um, sort of engaging with the world from a career standpoint. So what we're going to do is f- do a version of Aum chanting that highlights externalization versus internalization. So let's kind of review with, uh, review what Aum is and why we chant it. So Aum is, generally speaking, composed of three syllables, Ah, uh, mm. And we start with the mouth fully open. Uh, go to middle open. Ooh, mm. That's how we chant OM, okay? So what we'll do when we chant OM is we'll do five breaths or nine breaths. You'll chant kind of five times, nine times, whatever, with your eyes closed. The other thing that we'll teach frequently about OM is that OM is about chanting is not about sound it's about vibration. And what i mean by that is what and i know that physics wise the two can be the same thing. But what i'm talking about is your experience of the thing is not about here, it's about here. So what i want you to focus on when you chant is the vibrations that you feel, not the sounds that you hear. Okay? That's why we'll chant with our eyes closed. So for those of you who have not done om, you can just start with that, right? So we'll chant when we chant together, We're all practiced together, but where your attention is, is going to depend on whether you're more advanced or more experienced or less less experienced, less advanced, okay? So you can just focus on the vibrations and chant, and that's like, great, you'll get a lot of benefit from it. Now, here's sort of the additional layer to it. If you've been chanting and if you've been focusing on vibration, what you'll notice is that there's a difference in where it vibrates, like where you feel the vibration for each sound. And what you'll sort of notice is that the ah projects something outward, okay? And so you'll kind of feel like this vibration that's towards the upper part of your body, and it'll sort of feel like a projection outward. As you move to the ooh, you'll kind of notice that that sound is going to vibrate more around the throat. And if you really pay attention, you'll notice an upward movement and a downward movement. So that also sounds kind of weird, and you may not understand this until you actually practice or until you've practiced a lot. So that that there's going to be an outward movement with ah. There's a binary movement. There's sort of an outward flow and inward flow with ooh. And then there's going to be an internal movement with mm. Mm. The the, mm will almost go straight down. So in that way, we can sort of notice these three directions of vibration with ohm. Now, there's sort of a mystical component, which I'll just share with y'all, and you know, up to you whether you want to put emphasis on this or care about this or what. Right? So this is not really supported by science. But when we chant om, there's also sort of like you can lengthen a particular syllable based on what you're shooting for. So if you wanna create kind of an outward change, you can lengthen the ah. If you're trying to balance something between you and the outside world, you can focus on the ooh. And if you want to focus internally or the the reason you're meditating is for some sort of internal gain, then you want to focus on the m. Mm. Okay? So we can go om. If your goals of meditation are more like internal or spiritual in nature. If your goals are more external, Right? So you can lengthen one part. Or if you're sort of doing it introductorily, you can just kind of, you know, do all three evenly, okay? And then if you're sort of trying to balance something between you and the outside world, if you're kind of like, then you can focus on the, the, ooh. So, ah, uh, okay. So, if someone's asking, why can't new people do the advanced technique? You can do the, the, the technique is going to be roughly the same. The difference is going to be what amount of awareness, what your awareness is capable of. So when you chant, if you can really feel that difference, that's what makes it advanced, right? So if you can't feel that difference or, or too focused on the breath or counting or whatever, like that's totally fine. You can still chant and you can move towards this. So whether you're advanced or basic, and it's not like the advanced is necessarily better than the basic. It all depends on what you're able to detect and what you focus on. So this is the other thing to understand is that <coughs> Sometimes people will get bored of a meditation. And that's where you can chant om, but the ways in which you chant it and what you focus on can be drastically different over time. And generally speaking when you chant om or when you do a mantra for a very long period of time, unless you have a teacher who's guiding you with each step and who can discuss your practice, what you'll discover is that you'll find weird like nuances within the mantra and find different kinds of like connections with the outside world that you didn't know existed. The first year you chanted it. And that's where, you know, do, are these connections real or are they not real? Like, what's going on? Like, it's unclear to me. Like, the human brain has a tendency to seek patterns and make patterns. So even if the pattern isn't real, though, it can lead to a functional understanding which can help you navigate life. Okay? So we're going to practice now. We're going to do... Let me just think how many breaths we want to do. So we're going to do five rounds. So round one is going to be four seconds, four seconds, and four seconds of ah, ooh, and mm. Round two is going to be, let's say, eight seconds of ah, two seconds of ooh, and two seconds of mm. Round three is going to be two, eight, two. And round four is going to be two, two, eight. And round five is going to be four, four, four. Okay? So the reason we're going to do this, it may be kind of confusing, but I'll kind of prompt y'all, is what I want y'all to really pay attention to is which one feels the best to you. Okay? So does doing equal equal amounts of ah, ooh, and mm feel the best to you? Or do you sort of really get into it more when we're lengthening ah, and sort of having a shorter ooh and shorter um mm, or long oo or long um, mm, okay? So it's going to be 444, 822, 282, 228 and 444, okay? So let's start with the first one. So we're going to sit up straight, close your eyes, take we're going to go ahead and just let our breathing even out. Maybe for about 20-30 seconds. And now we'll begin with the four, four, four. So take a deep breath in. Uh, So let's go ahead and do that again. So we're gonna do, it's gonna be closer to five, 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 I think. So deep breath in. So hopefully you kind of noticed the vibrations, felt them in different areas, or maybe you were focused on the count. Whatever you were doing is totally fine. So now we're gonna lengthen that ah. Okay, so it'll be maybe 933 instead. Okay. So take it take a deep breath in. Ah. We'll do that again. So nine, three, three, so really long nine, a really long ah, ooh, and um. Okay, so deep breath in. Ah, um. And when you practice that on your own, if that sort of felt good to you, remember to focus on the sensation of the vibration projecting outward. Now we'll focus on the oo in the kind of internal balance, and we're going to feel the upward flow and downward flow. It'll be three nine three. So we'll start out with a quick ah, a long oo, and a short m. Mm. Deep breath in. Ah. Again. And now we'll move on to the m mm being the long part. So we'll have a three-second ah, a three-second oo, and now we'll really focus on that downward vibration that the um creates. You're going to feel it deep within your chest and just focus on that sensation, okay? Deep breath in. Excellent. One more time. Three second ah, three second do, nine second um. Deep breath in. Um. And now we'll close the practice with two rounds of even breath. Five seconds, five seconds, five seconds. Deep breath in. Um. And now the last breath. And afterward, we're going to sit in the silence of OM, which is actually the fourth sound. The sound of silence, which is sort of the hidden sound within OM. So some people will even say that the most important part of ohm chanting is none of the syllables that you chant, but the residual experience afterward. So we're gonna do one more round. We're actually gonna lengthen each of the segments, the AH, the ooh, and the UM, mm, to six seconds, okay? So the other way to kind of think about it is just do it as long as you can, evenly split up, okay? So get ready, take a deep breath in. Ah uh... And that is how you live in the present.